be reading from Colossians chapter 3, verse 11 through 17. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're studying right now the New Testament book of Colossians, which is an apostolic letter that Paul wrote to one of the early churches. And in verse 11 of the passage we're looking at today, the apostle tells us that a local church, a local congregation, ought to be a community in which our mutual connection to Jesus Christ is more important than anything that might otherwise divide us. Would you agree with that? Verse 11 says this, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. In, in other words, ethnic differences, racial divisions, economic status, personal preferences, political convictions, professional identity, marital status, generational outlook, country of origin. I mean, you, you name it, however you might want to categorize and separate people. None of those things, none of them should be more important to us in the church than the simple fact that we all belong to Jesus. Amen? Now, I, I just think that is such good news to come to church on a, a Sunday morning and hear. I, listen, we all know that we, we live in a fractured world right now. We, we live in a divided land. And we live in a generation in which many, many people feel isolated and alone and cut off from others. And isn't it wonderful to hear in the Scripture that in Christ, guys, we have an opportunity to experience a depth of community together that the rest of the world is just hungering for. That is such good news. Now, the big question, of course, is how do we attain this? And uh, listen, from my experience, I, I would just say that genuine Christian community, it doesn't just happen. 
The, the kind of community described here, this doesn't happen automatically by virtue of the fact that we're all Christians. Is it all right if I say that? Martin Luther King very famously observed that 11 o'clock a.m. on a Sunday morning is what he called the most segregated hour in Christian America. That was true 50 years ago. Sadly, in many ways, it's still true today. Genuine community that, that transcends social and political divisions. Genuine community in which everyone is loved. Everyone is treasured. Everyone is respected. That doesn't just happen automatically because we love Jesus. So how does it happen? Well, today's, today's passage answers that question. In, in the passage we're looking at today, the apostle tells us two really important things. He, he tells us what we need to be giving to each other, what we need to give each other in order to experience this kind of community, and he also tells us how we can be empowered to give these things. So first, what, what do we need to give to each other? Well, if you look at verses 12 through 14 of today's passage, verses 12 through 14 describe seven virtues. Uh, and Paul compares them to items of clothing that we're putting on, clothing ourselves with these things. I'll, I'll use a different metaphor and, and describe these as, as seven gifts that we need to be exchanging with each other regularly as a community. Uh, just my gift to you, your gift to me, we just generously keep giving these things to each other. So what are these seven virtues or seven gifts? The, the first Paul mentions is the gift of compassion. Verse 12, he says, therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. That The word that's translated compassion in the original, it was actually two words, kind of a phrase that literally means bowels of mercy. One uh, New Testament scholar said that this word refers to, quote, deep sensitivity, deep sensitivity to the needs and sorrows of others. In other words, when compassion, compassion refers to how you feel. When a, when a friend comes to you and tells you that, that she's hurting or, or he tells you that he's angry or, or, or she lets it, you know that she's tired or that she, she's feeling ashamed. If you have compassion, you care enough about your friend to empathize with them and, and, and to begin to feel in your heart some of the emotions that they are feeling. You, you feel along with them. A couple of years ago, I was going through a personally a very discouraging time, and I went to visit a friend of mine, uh, a retired pastor who lives in the Bronx named Charlie. Some of you know Charlie Drew. I, I went to visit Charlie, and after spending about an hour and a half in his apartment, I, I, I left. And when I walked out of Charlie's apartment, I felt a thousand pounds lighter. You know what I mean? I just felt like a, a, a weight had been lifted from me. And, and I look back on that experience, and I think how strange that was that visiting Charlie would help that much because I, I realized Charlie really did not do anything for me. I mean, he, other than he gave me a ham sandwich for lunch, I think, but other than that, he didn't, listen, he didn't fix my problem. He didn't, he didn't have a solution for me. He didn't even have any advice. I, I walked out of that place. My situation hadn't changed, but I felt so much better. You know why? Because my friend Charlie gave me a gift. 
He gave me the gift of compassion. He just, you know what he did? He just listened and cared. And what I wonder has, can you think of any time in your life when someone has done that for you? They didn't, didn't solve your problem, but oh, they gave you the one and only gift you needed right then. They just felt along with you. That's, that's compassion. So one gift we need to be very generous and give back and forth is the gift of compassion. The second gift Paul mentions is the gift of kindness. I would put it this way. Compassion is what you feel for another person. Kindness is what you do for another person. You don't just feel sad that someone's in the hospital. You, no, you actually go visit them, right? You're not just sorry that, you, that your friend is going to miss her job interview because she can't find childcare. No, you, you offer to watch her kids for a while, right? Com com kindness, in other words, is compassion expressing itself in action. I wonder when is the last time that somebody performed an act of kindness for you? Maybe it was just a text or a phone call thinking about you today. Maybe it was a, a, a Tupperware container full of chicken soup left at your, your doorstep. When is the last time someone performed an act of kindness for you? When's the last time you had a chance to give that gift to someone else? Mark, Mark Twain once said this. He said, kindness is the language the deaf can hear and the blind can see. Someone else said, uh, kindness makes you the most beautiful person in the world, no matter what you look like. So, so Paul here is saying uh, we need to give each other compassion where we feel along with them, and we need to give each other kindness where we express that compassion in action. The third gift he mentions is the gift of humility. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility. John Stott, a Christian author, said humility is the rarest and fairest of all Christian virtues. So what does a humble person look like? A humble, a humble person is not easily offended, right? A, hum a humble person is open to ideas and suggestions from others. A humble person uh, realizes that their way of doing things is not the only way to do things, and their way of seeing the world is not the only way that, that the world can be seen. A humble person recognizes that on occasion, they themselves might be wrong. In other words, a, a humble person is open to receiving correction from others. And you can see here from verse 16 in this passage wh why humility is vitally important for us to have Christian community together. Verse 16 says, let the message of Christ, or you could translate that, the word of Christ, dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. So in the church, we are to be teaching and admonishing or warning one another. Now, some of you might remember a few weeks ago in chapter 1, we read that the Apostle Paul, he said that in his role as an apostle, in, in his role as, as someone appointed by Christ to have authority over the church, in his preaching ministry, he said that he would 
teach and admonish people. Chapter 1, verse 28, he said, Christ is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. So as an apostle appointed by Christ over the church, Paul would instruct people in things that they needed to know, and he would correct people in ways that they needed to change, and he would warn people about things in their life that he was concerned about. So as, as an apostle, Paul would teach and admonish people. I, I don't know about you, but um, I would have no problem receiving instruction and admonishment from an apostle. I mean, somebody appointed by Jesus wants to come and tell me how my life needs to change. That's, that's fine with me. I'm open to that. But listen, today's passage is saying that I need to be willing to receive instruction and admonishment from you. And you need to be willing to receive instruction and admonishment from me. And we all need to be willing to receive instruction and admonishment from each other. Paul says, let the message of Christ dwell among you. The word you there is plural, as you, plural, teach and admonish each other. If Paul had been from the South, he would say, you all, all y'all need to be teaching and admonishing each other. It's a, it's a, it's a communal activity. So you know what this means? Young people, teens, you need to let God speak to you through your parents. You need to listen to them. And parents, you need to let God speak to you through your kids. Receive instruction, admonishment from each other. Women need to listen to men. And men, brothers, we need to hear God speak to us through our sisters. Sometimes it's hard for men to receive admonishment from women. I'm just being honest here. But, but, but what this is telling us, if, if we're going to enjoy community among each other. We have to clothe ourselves. We need to give each other this gift of humility where I come to you and you come to me and we all say to each other, you know what? We need help. We all need help. Let God speak to me through you. Let God speak to you through me. That can, listen, that can only happen, right, with humility. So I, I wonder if uh, people who know you well would describe you as someone who's very approachable and very receptive when they have something hard to say to you. You, you, don't know, you don't know yourself, usually, if you are that kind of person, be, because if you're not, you, have no, you don't realize it. But would people you, who know you well say, yeah, he's teachable. Yeah, she's humble. Yes, I can approach her. And so th that's one gift. We need to give each other this compassion, kindness, humility. The fourth gift Paul talks about is gentleness. Clothe yourself with gentleness. Gentleness, that word could also be translated mildness or meekness. Now, to some people, if they hear that you are mild or you are gentle or you are meek, what comes to mind for them is weakness. They think you must be weak. But listen, in the Bible, gentleness is not weakness. 
Jesus described himself as gentle, the same Jesus that turned over those tables and threw people out of the temple. Moses was described as the meekest man in his generation. This is the same Moses who stared down Pharaoh eye to eye and said, let my people go. So listen, gentleness, meekness, it's not weakness. I've heard it defined this way. Gentleness, you know what gentleness is? Gentleness is strength under control. A gentle person, she reigns in her strength. She brings it under control so that she's able to benefit others. A gentle person reigns in his strength so that other people have room to flourish and grow. That's, that's gentleness. So a gentle person is not rude. A gentle person is not abrasive. A gentle person is not pushy. A gentle person doesn't uh, dominate other people or intimidate others or, or manipulate others. No, a, a gentle person keeps his or her strength under control so that others have room to grow. So gentleness is when you keep your strength under control. Patience, that, that's the, the fifth virtue. Patience is when you keep your anger under control right? The word patience here in the old King James, they translated that long-suffering. What, what comes to mind for you when you think of somebody who's long-suffering or, or patient? It, to, to me, it brings to mind somebody who is not easily angered, someone who has control over their tongue, so, someone who, who doesn't just jump to conclusions about people, somebody who, before they, they, they react to a situation, they, they, they ask questions and they listen and they try to understand. So let me ask you, when I describe a patient person like that, is there anyone that maybe in your life comes to mind? Like, oh yeah, she's so patient, or he's patient. For me, my father comes to mind. My father is a, a patient man. Who comes to mind when I describe that for you? Listen. Aren't people like that just delightful to be around? I mean, they really are. When, when you're with someone who, who is patient, don't you just kinda, you're, not, you're not walking on eggshells all the time. You're not nervous about what they're going to think. You just, don't you just kind of feel free to be yourself around them? Paul here is saying that that's a gift we need to, to give to each other, this, this patience with each other. The, the, uh, the sixth Virtue, the sixth gift described here, it's kind of a double gift. It's a, it's a two-pack, all right? They, they come together, and the gift is forgiveness and forbearance. Verse 13 says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgiveness and forbearance. Now, what, is, what do these mean? Well, forgiveness, forgiveness doesn't mean that you're supposed to feel good about something bad that someone did to you, all right? That's, that, that's not it. Listen, sometimes people do things that are so harmful, you'll, you will never feel good about that for the rest of your life. What a, what a horrible burden to put on someone to say you're supposed to feel good about that. That's not what it means. And, and forgiveness doesn't mean that you make excuses for something wrong that someone did, like, oh, he didn't mean it, or, you know, she, you know, she couldn't help it. That's not forgiveness. You know, here's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is when, by the grace of God, you make a decision that even though someone has hurt you, you're not going to try to pay them back. 
You're, you're not going to make them pay for it. You're not going to seek revenge for this. In other words, you're, you're not going to make them miserable all, you know, by constantly bringing up what they did. You remember that time 10 years ago when you did that? You're, not, you're just not going to do that anymore. And, and you make a decision that you're not going to try to hurt them socially by going around telling everyone in the world what they did to you. And, and you make a decision that with God's help, and it's going to take God's help, but with God's help, you're going to do the best you can not to carry a grudge. When you, when you remember again what they did to you, you're just going to give that to the Lord and, and do your best not to kind of ruminate on that. That's, that's what forgiveness is. So forgiveness is how you as a Christian respond to someone else's sin. Now, forbearance is a little bit different than that. For, uh, forgiveness is how you deal with someone's sin. Forbearance is how you, how you respond to someone's shortcomings. They're frailties. There are certain things that we, struggles we have, they're not necessarily willful sins. They're just weaknesses that we have. Frailties, uh, character flaws. For example, uh, maybe, you have, maybe you have a friend who is very, very lacking in cultural agility. In other words, she's, she's just not very good at understanding and empathizing with, with people who come from a different cultural background than her. And sometimes that, her, her inability there just brings grief to you. Or, or maybe you have a friend who's, who's constantly anxious. He's, he's just worried all the time. You're, and you get tired of constantly trying to you know, calm him down. Or maybe you have a, a friend who very easily slips into discouragement, and after a while, it's like every time I see the guy, I have to pick him up. I just, you know, encourage him. It just starts to get old. Or, or, or maybe you have a friend, and she is such a perfectionist that she just makes everyone around her tired. So I'm talking about shortcomings like that. Not, they're not necessarily willful sins. They're just weaknesses that we have. So let me ask you a question. What, what do you do if you have a friend with shortcomings like I've just described. What do you do? Get rid of them? Trade them in for a new friend? Well, here's what Paul says. Show them forbearance. Forbearance. Forbearance doesn't mean that, that, that it's not the same as tolerance. It doesn't mean that you're just excusing the, their weakness. It means, here's what it means when you're forbearing. It means that you're giving God time to work in your friend's life. You're giving your friend time and space to grow and change because some of these things in us, they take a long time for God to deal with, right? I, I, when I was a kid, I, I went to church. I grew up going to church, and I went to church one Sunday morning, and, and uh, we had this man in our church. His name was Mr. McLaughlin. Mr. McLaughlin was one of the leaders in our congregation, very godly, uh, spiritual, mature Christian man. And I think that he was one of the, the deacons in the church, one of the leaders of the congregation. And, and we walk into church, and Mr. McLaughlin, I noticed he had, remember the, how they used to make those old campaign buttons? He had a button on his lapel, on his jacket, and it just seemed to have this random series of letters that didn't make any sense. Uh, the, the letters on his jacket, I'll read them for you. The letters were P-B-P-G-I-N-F-W-M-Y. And he just wearing this button around, not saying anything. And I finally went up to him and I said, Mr. McLaughlin, what does that word say? And he says, it's not a word. It's an acronym. It stands for something. And I said, well, Mr. McLaughlin, what does it stand for? And he said, P-B-P-G-I-N-F-W-M-Y. Please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. 
And you know what I thought as a little kid? If a godly leader in our congregation like Mr. McLaughlin still needs time for God to finish working on him, then it's probably okay if a kid like me still needs time for God to keep working on me. And it's probably okay if you still need some time for God to finish working on you. And forbearance, guys, is when we don't view this need for God to work as, as a burden, we view it as something we rejoice in. And we give, patiently give God time to work in each other. So this is what, you see what Paul's describing? He's giving us this vision of the kind of community that can be ours in the church. And then he's saying, here's how it has to happen. You've got to give each other these gifts. The gift of compassion, where you just, you enter into feeling along with someone else. The gift of kindness, where you put those feelings into action. The gift of humility, where you're approachable and you let others correct you. These gifts of, 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 uh, of gentleness and patience and forgiveness and forbearance. And then he mentions the last one, the seventh gift, which is the gift of love. Verse 14, and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Here's where I think it's important to rem remember the metaphor Paul was using. He's, he's describing these not as gifts, but as articles of clothing. So you, you know, first you put on compassion, then you put on humility, then you, then you put on patience, and you put on kindness. And, and then he says when you get to the very end, you, you put on the overcoat. And it's the overcoat of love, and it just holds it all together. And I think what he's communicating there is that without love, without love, none of this other stuff matters, right? Some of you know that passage from 1 Corinthians 13 that describes why love is so important in, in human communities. It says this, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And so Paul says over all these virtues, put on love. So to have this kind of community together that our hearts hunger for, this kind of community that, that transcends the divisions in our society where, where everyone here is valued and treasured, Paul says, be generous, guys. Be generous. Have a gift exchange. Every time you get together, give each other these Seven things, compassion, kindness, humility, patience, gentleness, love, forgiveness. Just keep giving these. Now, how do you do that? <laughs> that's, that's the second thing he tells us. How, how, it sounds so easy, but this is not easy. How can we be empowered to, to give this to each other and keep doing it? You know, someone will say, well, you just try hard to be nice. Oh, come on. If it were that easy, we wouldn't have these problems. Well, you just try to be a good person. No, it doesn't work that way. Listen, 
But did you notice something in this passage? There's a kind of a resounding theme, this, this note that is, is, is sounded again and again throughout this passage. The theme of gratitude runs throughout this. Gratitude. Verse 15, Paul says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And look, and be thankful. Verse 16, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God, there it is again, with gratitude in your hearts. Verse 17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So again and again in this passage where Paul is just giving us some, some practical instruction on how to form a healthy community together, he keeps, he keeps coming back to this, calling us to thanksgiving. Give thanks, give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. Now why does he do that? Because what can empower us to love each other in this way, in a church, in a marriage, in a family, at a workplace? Listen, it's not a sense of guilt. Oh, shame on you. You need to be nice. That's not going to help. It's not a sense of, of duty. Well, it's my job to be nice to you. That's not going to help. It's not even this kind of vain desire to prove to the world what good people we are. Aren't we good Christians? See how nice we are? That's only going to make you self-righteous. The only thing that could genuinely just engender within our hearts the, the kind of love that we need is this overwhelming sense of gratitude to God. Gratitude for what? Well, Paul tells us here. Do you see what he tells us? He tells you, Christian, that the God who is calling you to show compassion and kindness to others is the same God who has been showing compassion and kindness to you. Verse, verse 12 says, we are God's chosen people. And if you know the Bible, God did not cho choose us because, because we're very good. No, He just chose us because He wanted to love us, right? We're God's chosen people. Holy. What do you mean holy? I, I have all these sins. Yeah, but God looks at you, Christian, and sees you as holy because of what Christ has done. Chosen, holy, and don't you love that phrase, Christian? You are dearly loved. Verse 13 it tells you to forgive other people. Why? So because if you forgive others, God will forgive you. That's not what it says. It says forgive others because God has forgiven you. Because when Jesus went to the cross for you, believer, all your sins were taken away. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And then I love this at the very end. Verse 17 reminds us of something so, so precious. Believer in Christ, God is your Father. Give, give thanks to the Father, God the Father through Him. I, I think that sometimes it, it, we don't always realize what's, what a tremendous thing is being stated here whenever we read that God through Christ is our Father. Some people struggle with this because their Father wasn't very loving. That's hard for them to understand God's love. Others of us, this doesn't hit us with such surprise because we just heard it so many times. Of course he's my father. I hear, I've heard that a million times. Do you realize how amazing it is? God loves you like a good father loves his kids. This, this summer I, I got into this uh, 
series on Netflix. I, I just I couldn't stop watching it. It was this series called Alone, and it's, it was one of these reality TV shows where the people are competing with each other, kind of like Survivor, but, but they were alone. So they, they had these, t I think it was 10 highly trained outdoor survivalists, and each one of them was dropped off in the, in the Canadian Arctic all alone in this very harsh environment where it gets you know, brutally cold and there's hardly anything can live up there. And, and they each want, they were allowed to select just a few items, like a knife and, 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 and maybe a rope and a bow and arrow, a few things they would take with them, and then they somehow had to survive. They had to build their, own, build their own little structure to live in, and they had to start their own fires, and they had to catch their own food. And, and, and the, it, whichever one could make it the longest would win a half a million dollars. If they got to the point where they're so hungry they couldn't make it anymore, or they got injured, they, they could radio in and the helicopter would come and airlift them out of there. But whoever made it the longest got a half a million dollars. Well, anyway, on this show there was this one guy. He was so good, man, this guy. He, his specialty was fishing. He was an expert fisherman. And so all, all, the other, uh, all the other competitors, they were kind of starving to death and getting skinnier and skinnier because they couldn't find any food. This guy was pulling out of the lake these huge freshwater fish from this like Arctic lake. And then he would fillet the fish and he would smoke it over the fire and preserve it. And in his little hut, he just had all these fillets of fish lined up for days to come. He was having like three square meals every day. And I'm thinking to myself, this guy's going to win the competition. But... This man made one fatal mistake that cost him a half a million dollars. One mistake that just ruined it for him. He didn't even make it to the finalists. You know what his mistake was? When he was packing his supplies to be airlifted and dropped up in the Arctic, in his bag, he packed with himself a photograph of his kids Two cute little kids, five years old, three years old. And every, every night, you know, after he had done fishing and he ate his meal and he would go to sleep in his hut, he would pull, he would pull out this photograph and just look at his kids and think, oh, man, I miss my kids. My wife is tucking them in right now. I wish I was there to read her a story. I wish, I wish I was there to have a pillow fight with them. I miss my kids. And every night, he would look at this picture of his children and his heart would go out to them. He'd just feel this love for them. And finally, he couldn't take it anymore. He got on the walkie-talkie, said, come get me out of here now. And when the helicopter landed, he said, are you okay? What's the matter? He said, I'm fine. I just miss my kids. And they said, you know this is going to cost you a half million dollars. He said, I don't care. I want to be with my children. When I'm watching this show, it dawned on me. That's the way God feels about me. That's the way he feels about you. When the Bible says God loves you with a father's heart, it means that he would give up anything for you to be with him. He didn't just give up a half million dollars. He gave up the precious blood of his son. Christian, he loves you that much. Amen. So how is this going to help us love each other? I, I don't know exactly how it works, but I know it does, that the more you realize how loved you are, the more loving you become. Has that happened with you? 
It just does that for you. So what can empower us to give these seven gifts to each other and be very generous is not trying hard to be good. It's being reminded again and again and again, like we will at at the table together today, that our Father loves us and He will never, ever stop. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we pray that in our relationships, you would teach us to be as generous with the love you've given us as you have been with us. We would pray for any here today who hasn't yet experienced your love, that today would be the day when they come home to the Father and they trust in your Son and you receive them with arms open wide. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. If you are...